It's a big hour for us. Ugh, long hour. Got to stretch out. Be ready for it. That's right. Ah, that's right. <laughs> 11.30, the Brent Venables press conference live right here on The Ref. Uh, along with Josh, I'm Plank. This is the home of Sooner fans. We invite you to follow us right here on Twitter at KREF Sports. We have our solo acts going on right now. At Josh on Ref, I'm at Plank Show. And if you found me on Facebook because we talked about it today, like like or follow whatever you're supposed to be able to do now, and jump in on my – let's see how many responses are we up to. I think this got aggregated somewhere. I'd asked a question on Facebook, what's your hottest take through the Sooner football season? Uh, and uh, there's a lot of logical takes. I wanted it to be crazy. But like my man Chris Wilkerson, this is too logical, Chris – Coach, cautiously optimistic. Looks like a team that's mentally tougher and more physical. I'd like to see how we do against Texas before I make any broad predictions. I uh, I shared a hot take with you on there. Oh, did you? Hold on. I think 10 wins is definitely a possibility as long as they don't go into a shell offensively. That sounds like a man that knows his football. Let me see here. I'm not as good scrolling through these as I am. Robert Kyle said shades of 2000. Mm. By the way, I want to know. I want to know uh, whenever you got on here to put your uh, prediction, did you have to have a clue sent for your Facebook password because you haven't been on there in so long? <laughs> no, I'm on okay. Facebook frequently. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. All right. I go. Uh, Josh, Josh's hot take, hottest take. OU Texas is a lock. For the Big 12 championship That's right. Game. Lock it Lock. up. It's over. And you got a second on that, too. Chill. People agree? People agree. All right. It is time for the top five stories of the day. We do it every single day. And it's brought to you, as always, by Newcastle Casino. It's time for the top five stories of the day. Brought to you by Newcastle Casino. Newcastle Casino, where real gamers play. Let's go, man. I-44, exit 107, 14 table games, front row sports bar, has monthly drink specials, eat, eat some southern comfort food at Kitchen 44, place your bets at the OTB, newcastlecasino.com. Big story number five. Number five. I only care about this for Coach Stoops, and I want to make that very clear. But Josh... It looks like the thing that needed to happen in order for spring football to potentially survive might be happening. According to a report this morning, the USFL and the XFL are in talks for a merger. A merger. This is according to Sarah Fisher. And who else are they giving credit to here? Oh, that's the name of her company, Axios. <laughs> Time to Google up what Axios is. Senior media reporter, media analyst, and her scoop is that merger talks are currently taking place between the XFL and the USFL. Um, no, I don't want to subscribe to that. The merger would be structured as a merger of equals and would require regulatory approval One of the sources said it matters because, I mean, listen, it matters because that's the only way you're going to survive. You can't have two separate leagues. All right, we start a week after they stop. It doesn't make any sense. Um, The original USFL had the juice, man. The original USFL had the juice. But I don't think the NFL has to either accept it as some sort of pro development league, which it's wanting to be, and the NFL is like, that's cute. Or it's it's got to go try to get NFL players. Why doesn't the NFL do that? I don't know. I it, don't know. Is it a holier-than-thou situation? And is it they don't want to sh- – I mean, you tell me. You're smarter than me on some of this stuff. No. Like, is there some sort of financial backing that uh, that they would be tied to? I, what, what would be the lack of interest in it? Because it seems like it would be another way for them to make money. Well, there was – Here's the thing. This year, the XFL had an agreement. Well, I guess the term agreement wouldn't work, but had a partnership to where the NFL 
considered them a place for some rules innovation and player development, but in that same vein, it, I don't really know how much that latter was a part of it as much as, say, the innovation and the player safety side of things. In terms of that making make sense? It does. In terms of making the NFL a year-long calendar, it would seem like a no-brainer mm-hmm. to attach yourself to this. It automatically legitimizes the league. Sure. And probably you're going to get a piece of the pie. I mean, you would get a piece of the pie. So you're going to make more money. So I, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like smart business people. Let's go. Smart business people. All right. Uh, and if the NFL does it, it's pretty smart. They partnered up with the XFL. Now can they expand that partnership a little deeper? But I don't understand why they don't just go all in. All right. You're, you're our developmental league. Hey, a team's not happy with this. A uh, practice squad player, you're going to go play, and you'll have a guaranteed deal, but you're going to play for the Orlando Breakers as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. You're a practice squad guy. You need time. And it's scary for those guys because then it's like, oh, I'm on a practice squad. Do I really want to go down there and get hurt? Right. Tough call. Uh, but USFL, XFL, talking merger. Big story number four. Number four. Oh. I had a dream, Josh. I had a dream that at some point – Patrick Mahomes would ask for so much money, and the Chiefs are like, we just, we're just going to let you walk. I knew that wasn't a reality in my mind. It's not going to happen now. Yesterday, the Chiefs and Mahomes announced a restructuring of his deal, which is giving him $210.6 million between today and 2026. It's the most money in NFL history over a four-year span. His compensation for those years is now guaranteed, the Chiefs and Mahomes will revisit the agreement again after the 2026 season. It's according to reports from ESPN and Equity Sports CEO Chris Cabot. Dang it. I mean, he's locked up for so long to the organization, but uh, you don't want a disgruntled superstar, right? Mm-hmm. You want to keep uh, Mahomes happy. So when Burrow and Lamar Jackson and – you know, insert quarterbacking name, Justin Herbert. When they start getting paid, well, time to rework things so Mahomes is financially compensated the way he should be. You know, I haven't seen a lot this year, and I'm not complaining about it. Jackson Mahomes. Kind of nice. Quiet without him. Pretty relaxing, huh? Meanwhile, Josh, no news this morning on the Nick Chubb injury, or I guess maybe I should say at least no confirmation. We all know what's going on there. He's done for the season. His coach even announced it yesterday after the game. But as it stands right now, nothing as far as a roster move, which we many of us expect them to go out and try to sign Kareem Hunt. He'd been with Cleveland last year. Would you, if you're the Browns, would you think about maybe Jonathan Taylor? Are having a conversation? Hmm? Hmm? What's up, Colts? Got this guy over there. We feel pretty good. Now, the Browns don't have a first-round pick next year. But maybe they can look in the future. I don't don't think I would want to mortgage my future for Jonathan Taylor. It depends on how good you think you are. You're right. How bought in you think uh, you are as an AFC contender. And after uh, last night, I don't know that I'm trying to send off a bunch of assets. Yeah, me neither. I think you might look at this and say, oh, boy, we might need to be preparing for next year. It was a great weekend for Oklahoma Sooners in the NFL. Uh, Mark Andrews scored a touchdown. CeeDee Lamb, 143 yards receiving. Touchdowns for Hollywood Brown, Marvin Mims, and Trey Brown on a pick six. Baker Mayfield had one as well. He threw for 317 yards. And Joe Mixon, nearly 100 total yards. Marvin Mims, by the way, total yardage, 113 in that touchdown. And it all happened in the first like quarter. <laughs> and then they stopped going. It was so puzzling. The end of that game for Denver, too, I just – they are such a mess. And the way that they were approaching with no hurry to try to get into the end zone late was just <laughs> like, oh, man, I'm sorry, Bronco fans. That's brutal. So, so bad. All right. Um, well, then we had games, so big story number three. Number three. Here's the big highlights from both games last night. We start with the early game. A little bit gross early on. Not going to lie, between the Saints and the Panthers. But when the Saints needed it most, they got this. At the two, brings Foster Morrow in motion. 
Tony Jones has it, cuts back, and Tony Jones scores his second touchdown of the game as he finally, the cutback works. He cuts it back, takes it in for the touchdown, and that is huge. 2017 ended up being the final because Tony of a garbage Jones. touchdown. Tony Jones Jr., two scores last night. Kamara back week four. Derek Carr afterwards. This is our second game together, um, you know, and that's you – know, I'm glad we win because I can say that, you know, because it is our second game together, and we still won the game, right? And we're going to continue to get better. We're going to continue to find that timing. I, I learned things about my receivers and everybody today that, okay, I got it. He sees it that way, and now I – okay. And I was pissed, and, you know, I moved on. And Derek. thankfully our defense kept us in it. So when we came back in the second half and we started clicking, we started hitting big plays, um, you know, we could pull away and try and win the thing. Potty mouth on Derek Carr. He's a ever since he got to Nolens, he's a who is that guy? He's a bad guy. Him. Meanwhile, in the Pittsburgh Cleveland game, you had the Chubb injury, but you also had this. Watching under center, Steelers showing blitz, long count, play action fake. He's back. There's and Alex. the ball is out, and the Steelers yes. pick it up, and that's TJ Watt running for the end zone. Steelers with the touchdown. The strip by Highsmith and his bookend buddy Watt scooped and scored. And the Steelers take the lead. Their second defensive touchdown of this game. Fourth sack of the season for T.J. Watt. You know what's an underrated highlight of mine? He's so good. Is is any And Ted doesn't do this because Ted's like me. He's more of a, of a, a arms up, hands up to celebrate something. But there's those guys that feel the need to clap. So if you listen, you can hear the analyst. It's like, yeah! It's my least favorite thing in any broadcast. It gets caught in the background at all. But Steelers win. You're doomed on Sunday night, Steeler fans. I sense the fear. Scared to death of Jimmy Garoppolo. So terrible. We're going to get so embarrassed on Sunday night. I love all of the craziness inside the booth. I'm here for all of it. (laughs) Big story. Did I get both games? So Saints. Steelers both win. Story number two. Number two. Coach Prime's got him cooking. Coach Prime's got him cooking. The Colorado, Colorado State game, according to an ESPN note this morning, is the fifth largest regular season for a college football game on record. And with a 4.9 rating and 9.3 million viewers. It's the most watched late night game ever on ESPN Family of Networks. The double overtime win peaked at 11.1 million viewers at 10 o'clock. Highest rated game of the season. Outdrawing our most watched game of the season. Outdrawing Florida State and LSU. More to come on that. And they'll break records probably next week. Well, 2.30 on Saturday for Colorado and Oregon. And then what, 11 a.m. for USC in Colorado? If if they somehow beat Oregon, which I, I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to probably lose by multiple scores. But hypothetically, they beat them. The, the ratings for that game are going to be great. And then USC is – it could be one of the most viewed college games of all time, could it mm-hmm. not? Oh, absolutely. If they win. If, if they win. Is this going is this going to be something that is here to stay? Dion Prime Mania? Or is this something at the end of the season we're gonna look back on and say, huh, remember when Colorado was like three and oh? That's what I'm curious about. I don't think it's going anywhere. Speaking of not going anywhere, Nick Saban made an announcement. He's got himself not just a new starting quarterback, but a set starting quarterback. Jalen really showed the leadership that I was looking for. He's had the opportunity to play, so has the other guys. Jalen played the best uh, of all those guys, and uh, so I think he's earned the opportunity to be the quarterback. So Jalen Milrow will get the start for Alabama whenever they take on Ole Miss this week. And meanwhile, Lane Kiffin is out questioning who's really calling the plays defensively. Lane, what did you see? Um, on film that led you to make the comment last night about Coach Robinson coaching their defense? Um, that was, again, I was asked the question what it was like going against Steele's defense, so I wasn't really trying to start this big thing. Um, we... Oh, hold on, hold on. Buffering 
our our Wi-Fi here. Um, we saw things on TV copy just where it was different, you know, of first off of what the play looked like, the calls and stuff. And then so we looked into that further. And then, I mean, ain't no secret. We kind of people in these buildings know each other. So obviously got some information that way too. So, you know, it's just is what it is, kind of like the quarterbacks. You know, you got to prepare for a different quarterback, prepare for a different play caller. So we got a game film of that. I'm not sure whatever transpired after Texas, but um, we're going to have our hands full no matter what. I can imagine that moment. Someone's watching tape. I coach with Kevin Steele. He wouldn't call that in that spot. He wouldn't have his corners playing there. Another analyst. Dude. That's got to be the other dude calling the defense. And then Lane just lets it fly. Bama about to go down again at home? I think I'm locking Bama this weekend. Oh, you are? I, I've told this a lot. Every time I talk smack, it backfires on me, which is why I try not to do it. 99.9% of my trash talking is in jest because every time it happens, it's a failure. It goes back to sixth grade soccer when my team, the East Alton Bucks at the time, took on Mike Roper's East Alton Zebras. And they beat us after I told them, we're going to bury you. My dad, the whole way home, he's like, can you tell people going to bury him again? No. But I just, I feel like Lane Kiffin is me anytime he talks trash against Alabama. I want to take Ole Miss so bad. And I do think they're going to score points. <laughs> I just kind of have a feeling that Alabama might be able to literally turn and hand the football off and go win the game. I think they might. Because, uh, I mean, do you have a a ton of faith in Ole Miss defense? No. I mean, that's Pete Golding. Oh, I bet it was Pete Golding that's like, yeah, he ain't calling the defense. It gets us to big story number one. Number one. Number one. Number one. Oklahoma on the road to open conference play against Cincinnati. 11 a.m. on Saturday. You heard from Jeff Lebby and Ted Roof in hour two. You can go back and listen to the podcast. We'll give you two of our favorite cuts to lead us right in to Brent Venables when we come back. Six o'clock start time announced for the game next Saturday against Iowa State. So it looks like it'll be, what, 11 a.m., 6 p.m., 11 a.m.? But for now... Just 11 a.m. Saturday against Cincy, 6 p.m. the following Saturday against Iowa State. And, all oh, the TV ratings full graph is in, and it's not even funny. The number one ranked game, Colorado, a 4.9 rating, 9.3 million viewers. The second most watched game this weekend, South Carolina, Georgia. 9.3 million viewers for Colorado, Colorado State, 5.4 for South Carolina, Georgia. And that might have been a little bit higher if it was actually a good game. Yeah, stayed that way. <laughs> All right, we're going to hear from Levy and Roof next on the ref. Uh, if you were wondering where the Oklahoma Tulsa matchup wound up on the college football TV ratings for the weekend, uh, a little bit down the list 641,000 viewers, a 0.36 rating. Of course, it puts you on the deuce. Um, it was it was the second highest game on ESPN two for the weekend, with the highest rated game being they only had BYU and Arkansas on ESPN two. Wow! But again, not a great weekend of college football. The uh, <laughs> I see the CW showed up on here, Josh. The VMI North Carolina State game. 205,000. Uh, <laughs> I hate power rankings. What are you doing? But the Sandman sent us his Oklahoma football power rankings. David Sandlin. Oklahoma 1, Tulsa 2, ORU 3, Bixby High School 4, and Oklahoma State 5. <laughs> I hate to break this to David, but ORU does not have a football team. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It don't matter. We don't care. All right. Um. Ted Roof on keeping it even kill despite being 3-0 and as we get you set for the Brent Venables presser coming your way at 1130 in mere moments. How do you keep things even keel, Coach Roof? Here's what it sounded like. Nope. Wait. Oh, oh. You Wait got for it. it. 
You got it? Yeah. Right, here we go. Right, here, 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 sorry. If you just look at the scoreboard, that's one thing. You know, but when you look at the tape and you go back and you study it and you, you, you break it down and you get into all the, the details of it, I mean, yeah, we, we, our players understand that. You know, that was a that was a nice win for us, but they understand that we got to get a lot better real quick. And, you know, all you got to do is show them the tape. The tape doesn't lie. The tape, the tape tells the truth. So, you know, and then our guys have seen that and uh, are excited about, you know, improving and, and getting better because we know we're going to have to. Meanwhile, Jeff Lebby talked about Austin Stogner and his lack of targets. Yeah, he's continued to be a really good leader for us and a guy, again, that's played a bunch of ball um, and done a great job in that room. Uh, he's approached it the right way. He spends a ton of time in our building, and he's, uh, he's going about it with a, with a pro mindset, and that's, uh, that's been good to see. You know? So he'll continue to do that, and, and the game will re- reward him, too, for that. Mm. There you go. So it's been a little bit of a struggle at that tight end position this year, I think, for Oklahoma to be able to have the production and prowess maybe is the best way to put it. We're just just saving it for this week, baby. Sean's so mad at you right now. No one holds back anything. They're going to break out the Llewellyn package. It's been a buttoned-up approach so far. Look out. Here we go. I, I went to Cincinnati-ish with the OU softball team this year because we played out at Miami of Ohio. Really cool campus. Cool little small town. But we're in the belly of the beast this weekend, man. We're going right into Cincinnati. So I'm excited. Fun show, dude. That was quick. It I, has been fun. I wish we were in studio more often. That that's, that's the success of this program, I guess. Everyone wants us places. All right, quick break. Well, what am I saying? We're out. Uh, we're going to hand it off to... Drake Dyken, who is live on the east side of Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium, Midfirst Bank Suites for the Brent Venables press conference as we hear from the coach. Recap in Tulsa, looking ahead of Cincinnati, right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. On the Sooner Sports Network, from Learfield, welcome to the Brent Venables press conference. Steve Oklahoma, this is the weekly Sooner Football Press Conference with head coach Brent Venables. Today's press conference is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate, you're in good hands. It was a successful trip up the turnpike for the Sooners on Saturday as they advanced to 3-0 with a 66-17 win over the Golden Hurricane. As we await head coach Brent Venables, here's how it sounded with voice of the Sooners Toby Rowland on the call Saturday. Taking a deep shot down the near sideline. Gentry Williams intercepted it. The hometown kid with the pick. And he's on the run. And he's tackled by his own man. <laughs> Reggie Pearson accidentally knocked him down. And here are late flags on the field after the play. Back to pass. Deep shot down the middle. Anthony's got to step behind the defense. Got him on the run. 35-yard line and tackled at the 30. Shotgun snap, Gabriel fakes the handoff, looks right, throws right, slant pass, caught by Jalil Farouk, five-yard line, steps out of a tackle, touchdown, double OQ, and the Sooners strike in two plays. Handoff, Ford, running right, nowhere to go, Gentry Williams again, this time a tackle for a loss. Gabriel going to throw this time, looks near sideline, he fires it deep, Anthony opening. That was a little bit from this Saturday as OU advanced to 3-0, 66-17 over Tulsa, but now we have the head football coach, Brent Venables, right, at the morning. podium. I'm open up for uh, for questions. Morning. I wanted to ask you about special teams. You guys have had success all three weeks with either the return game, the block punt. Can you talk about the effectiveness of your special teams unit? And then also, as a coach, when you're preparing for opponents, how much do you dedicate to special teams? And you wonder how much opponents have to prepare extra for you with the success that you've had? Um, well, I think our coaching staff does a really nice job. Uh, Jay Nunez and the rest of the coaches uh, meet every day on special teams. and. Uh, get, I'm really, I uh, think we have uh, great drills that are very applicable uh, for the guys. We've got gr- great buy-in from our players. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, again, time from them on the field uh, that's, you know, put into 
you know, that part of the game. So uh, field position was an issue for us a year ago. And, you know, your offense is part of that. Your defense is part of that. Your special teams is part of that. So um, we've worked really hard at it. And, again, our players at the end of the day, they're the ones that are out there playing and straining and blocking and being detailed and precise. So, uh, you know, I think it's a combination of all those things. But the players buying into it, you know, as much as anything. Yeah, it does not just relate to offense and defense. You look at guys battling for positions on those 11 on special teams. Yeah, no doubt. 70, you know, is all you're allowed to travel. So, uh, you know, creating value for yourself as a player, uh, even if you're not a starter, is important so that you can, again, separate and get on the bus. Uh, it's a big deal. You know, uh, R.J. Spears had... 19 special teams plays last week. He's our special teams player of the week. And I think he had roughly 28 uh, defensive snaps. So, you know, you're just south of 50 snaps, you know, by creating, you know, a lot of value being on three, three units and, uh, developing confidence and accountability and all those things that'll help transition to, you know, when you do get in as a player, you know, helps your confidence and everything that you're doing. Yep. Yeah, Brent, I want to ask you about the Dylan and the, the, the difference that you've seen in him from the, the mental uh, side of things, all the, the non-physical stuff with the way that he's controlled the game, the decision-making, things like that. What, what stood out to you so far about what he's been able to do in that regard? He's probably having to, I don't know if he's taking pressure off himself or not, but he looks like he's having a lot more fun. And that was prior you know, to the start of the season. I think the group of guys around him, uh, both players and coaches, everybody's more comfortable just being in the system for another year. And then some of the newcomers have, have really adjusted quickly. But, uh, you know, I think it's just, again, he's a, a guy that's played a lot of football. Uh, his best football is at the end of his collegiate career because he's, again, the game slows down for you. You know, what you see in from defenses and uh, anticipating, you know, what you're doing on offense, where the breaks are, things like that. But I think it's a combination of, of that experience and then the guys around them being a little more confident and sure of, you know, what they're doing, you know, in year two. And then again, having a, a season where maybe, uh, you know, you know, you play off of your strengths and then, hey, really focus and spend time on areas that I need to get better at, whether it's decision-making or situational football. Talk about you know, him having a little bit more fun. Can that sometimes come before the success? The uh, I don't know. You hope it well, does. I mean, again, if you don't love what you're doing, it's going to be hard to be great at it. So, uh, you know, being confident and sure of who you are uh, as part of that and certainly he's never lacked uh, confidence but you know knowing that this is his last college year you know it probably plays a part into that as well mm-hmm. yeah Brent we've talked a lot about the new parity in college football TCU Cincinnati's make the make the playoff different changes at the top uh, what's causing that and is that good for the Sooners or is that a, a another challenge for the Sooners? I don't know if it's a challenge for us or not. You know, for us, you know, just want to focus inside out. But I do think there seems to be more parity. And uh, I think it's a great thing for college football. And, um, you know, I don't make the rules and uh, they don't really ask us a whole lot about you know what our thoughts are on some of those rules so um we try to take advantage of you know the landscape that we're uh that we're in and at the end of the day you know to have something that's sustainable and has longevity i do believe that uh you know continuity uh is an important you know piece of what you're doing so we don't want to lose be short-sighted and lose our sight of what you know uh, what it takes to to have something that has you know sustainability and so we don't want a roster that's disrupted a whole lot you know so we want to work hard at you know finding the right guys that that 
know that their opportunity may not happen day one, but they can still be a great teammate and develop and, and be ready for their opportunity when it comes and, and uh, that value the things that, you know, that we value. But uh, the parity's there, um, it appears, and uh, makes, you know, uh, for there's some excitement um, that's taking place these first three weeks for sure. Yeah, Brent, I wanted to ask you about some injuries, either guys that didn't play on Saturday or, or maybe got banged up, Savion Bird, Josiah Wagner, or Mason Thomas, Justin Harrington, and Reggie Pearson. Yeah, so hopeful for all those guys. We're still evaluating uh, uh, Harrington in particular, you know, about what his options might be. And then secondly, I know over all offseason you talked about yards per carry and in, in rush defense when to cut that number in half. I believe you guys have so far, I think 2.29 is what you guys are in run defense right now per carry. How do you feel like your run defense has maybe improved? It's good. You know, we, we're getting more physical and we've got more guys that can play in that front seven. Um, you know, I think that, you know, our secondary support is a little better, but all of it still has a lot of work. Um, just more confidence, better fundamentals at times, and a little more physicality, just a little more assuredness in the things that we're doing. What kind of growth have you seen for Marcus Stripling from this time last year to now, and then your defensive in-room as a whole? It seems like you're getting great contributions from all parts of that room early on. Yeah, uh, Coach Chavis has done a nice job uh, developing that group and uh, getting opportunity for you know, all those guys shown they can play quality football. Uh, he's really done a good job of not having a selfishness in the, in the room, which is not an easy thing to manage. But uh, Marcus Maturity, you know, he's a hard-playing dude. Uh, he's, you know, got a better football IQ now than where he was a year ago, just his knowledge base and fundamentals that go along with that. So he's improved in all of those areas. And uh, created again opportunity for himself through. It's a hardworking uh, teammate. You know he comes to to work uh, every day at practice and being again a you know in your last year uh, that can't be an easy thing. You know to to uh, you know when you want even more opportunity. And uh, but so I got a lot of appreciation for Marcus just because of his uh, his workmanlike attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of dovetailing on defensive line talk. Um, Cincinnati has said that they like their skill position guys. Does, do you feel like you may have an advantage in the trenches with your guys in this matchup on Saturday? I don't. I don't look at it as a an advantage, uh, so to speak. I know that their their front is really really good, and uh, they're experienced. They're battle tested, and they've played at a really high level. Uh, for quite some time, uh, so they've been a very consistent group of guys. So that's going to be a great challenge. And again, I said this at my radio show and I told this to the team. This is going to be a, a line of scrimmage football game, both sides uh, of the ball. Um, they're physical, they're relentless, uh, aggressive, confident, all those things. So uh, it's going to be exciting, you know, uh, challenge. You know, they're a top ten team rushing the football. Uh, as well, and quarterback is the second leading rusher on their team. He's a six-year player, very experienced, and uh, you know, very uh, explosive at receiver with Xavier Henderson. You know, fantastic player, uh, tied for you know the Big 12 lead in receptions, and so they've got a you know a three-headed monster on offense, and you know a defense that that has had a high standard of success you know over the last several years. So. It'll be a you know a very confident group you know that we we line up against in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brett. Um, in your offensive line, you've played a few guys. What do you think about that unit at this point? And Peyton Bowen has played a lot for you. And I know you've played freshman before in your career and young players, but talk about how difficult that is for a freshman to come in and do that. Yeah, no, the offensive line has has done a good job. You know we've. One of the best in college football, keeping a quarterback clean and uh, have done a good job efficiently at rushing the football and, uh, you know, helping in the 
again, the, sometimes again you got lots of runs called, and and but you got the RPO world, so you pull it out of the belly and you throw it down the field. So, uh, you know, so you don't know whether or not they were any good or not. And uh, so that they've done a nice job. You know, again, we've uh, we lost five guys a year ago, and uh, uh, three starters, and so those I think those guys have done a really nice job, and. There's still, you know, room to continue to improve at every position on our football team. They're not excluded in that. Uh, but I like, you know, where we're at right now up front. Uh, Peyton, it's, yeah, it's not easy. There's nothing easy about it. But he, he was here at mid-year, a really smart guy. Football comes easy for him. He's highly skilled, uh, very instinctual, uh, confident, um, but eager to learn and work. So he's, again, created opportunity for himself, and he'll just continue to get better the more he plays. Brent, I'll talk about what's different this year. It's obviously, first and foremost, focused on football. But when you talk to your players, they talk about a different feel, different closeness just within the program. Just foundationally, how significant is that, important is that? And, and a, you know, a season and three weeks in, where are you right now in building what you want to build in, in the long term? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, that that process never stops. You know, you all you got to you're always building, you're always nurturing, you're always protecting, you're always, uh, you know, rehearsing. You know, your values, beliefs, developing and nurturing. You know, culture. Again, we've got 97 players that are either in their first or their second year on our roster, so. Uh, we've worked hard at trying to create an environment where we, we recruit guys and get our guys to buy into, you know, uh, relationships and knowing each other and, uh, spending lots of time, uh, doing that. And then they've, uh, you know, spent a lot of time on their own, you know, as well. I think that's part of it. You know, that's not to be, uh, you know, undervalued. It's, uh, you know, I think it's, Teams that are close, teams that know each other, teams that trust each other uh, through all of it. You know, we have great respect for one another. Um, we tell each other the truth and all those things. I think that's important, you know, to, you know, for us anyway, as we build our program. And uh, so you want guys that uh, that's important to them as well. But, you know, so for all the returning players, they're just another, you know, year into the relationship. So, you know, that certainly hasn't hurt. So maybe that's some of the things that, you know, they're talking about. Yeah, Brent, sort of going back to freshmen, Caden Green, Peyton Bowen, they're both playing multiple positions. How tough is it to recognize which true freshmen can handle something like that? Is that something you can see in recruiting or you have to wait till they get they get on campus? I think it's probably a little bit of both. You get you have your instincts on in the recruiting process on on what that'll look like, and then once you have them, you quickly find out, you know, how they learn, you know, how they respond, how they compete, uh, how they play, all those things. And so, I think it's a combination of both of those things, and both of them, both uh, both of them have. Uh, it's not a surprise to us that they have the capability of doing multiple things, you know, at such an early age. But a perfect world. You, you zero them in on a on a position and let them you know go get it. Sometimes you can afford that. Sometimes you can't. Jesse, hey Brad, <clears throat> wanted to ask you about Nick Anderson. Obviously, the big game on Saturday. But just what do you remember about your early interactions and impressions uh, of him, and how neat has it maybe been to see him you know get back on the field and, and have some success? Yeah, confidence, humility. You know, it's a very competitive family. Um. You know, he's a football junkie, um, just a great teammate. And, you know, last year was very frustrating for him. A uh, really hardworking guy uh, that was, again, a year ago was just snake bit. So just couldn't get over that injury hump. And uh, But he hung in there and kept working, you know, through it all. And so it's great to, to see him have some success, you know, to – you know, uh, after everything he's been through. And uh, he's got a great future. You know, he's big, he's long, he's fast, he's tough, he's smart. He's a good leader. So a really good young freshman. Mm -hmm. Second row on the right, Mason. Brent, heard you mention the word accountability earlier. It was something you talked about a lot going into your first spring ball back here. 
How far has this team come in terms of accountability to this point, and how important is maintaining that going into this last run through the Big 12? Yeah, I'm really proud of our guys. You know, y'all don't get to see all the work and the investment that goes on behind the scenes uh, relentlessly. And uh, this is a group of guys that want to be pushed and challenged and held accountable. So it's, I think it's critical foundationally, you know, in your success. And uh, when we've fallen short, our guys have, again, they've handled it the right way. And so got a great appreciation, respect, uh, admiration, all those things uh, for what our guys have been about. And they want uh, and welcome the strain of what, you know, the, the sport brings to you. And uh, so that's gives you belief that, you know, as a, as a coach and as a leader, it gives you a lot of belief in, you know, uh, what our guys are doing and, you know, the direction that we're going. Justin. Hey, Brad. Andrew, someone who's really hit the ground running for you mm-hmm. guys. You know, obviously didn't have the biggest role in Michigan, but when you're going back in the recruiting process, looking at his film, even a small sample size, just what made you feel like you could really translate to that big role? We had a pretty good role. They just didn't throw him the ball. Uh, and um, really smart, again, humble uh, reasons for leaving were – you know, uh, you there was no red flags. You know, they wanted to keep them, so that was important. You know, for us as we're trying to find, you know, one, two guys you know, that they're gonna fit into the locker room, you know, well and be great, uh, unselfish teammates. But uh, and then of course he's very explosive, and uh, we had a, you know background and knowing who he was coming out of high school so we had a comfort level to know what we felt like we might be getting from an athletic standpoint and then again but since he's been here he's just put his head down and he's worked and started at the back of the line and you know uh, as of right now he's you know at the front of the line so he's earned everything he's gotten and teammates really you know appreciate his his work at appreciate his work ethic and his humility mm-hmm You hear all the time, young quarterbacks who are talented, how beneficial it is for them to have veterans around them. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, with a guy like Dylan Gabriel, and you look at how he's playing, how beneficial it's been for him to have a young guy who's really, really talented that everybody's talking about behind him. Has that pushed him in any way? I would expect so. Uh, again, I've said this before, you know, competition will bring out the best, should bring out the best in everyone if you're made of the right stuff. And, you know, I don't think Dylan's ever felt, quote unquote, threatened. Um, but certainly knows that the young young guys watching him every day and and is incredibly uh, talented in his own right. So who doesn't want to show off their stuff, you know? Uh, so I'm sure it's helped. And again, but at the same time, Dylan's since I've known him has not been a guy that's looking over his shoulder either. He's confident in his own skin and in the process and what he needs to do to, to play at a high level. And I think that's helped him, uh, you know, as opposed to paralyze him. And there's some guys that, you know, you got a handful of guys that they're worried about the external factors or things that they can't control. And, and it does stunt their growth, in my opinion, you know, keeps them from, uh, really realizing their their potential. Brett, um, for the offense, one of the big goals was to improve on third down. And when you look three games into the season, you see tangible evidence that it's happened, right? So what I'm wondering is from a coaching perspective, from a teaching perspective, how gratifying is that to, to step, set those goals and tell the guys exactly what you got to do, this is what we got to work on, and then they get through that and I know again yeah. three games into the season you can't beat your chest but yeah I, I don't know gratifying as a coach is as much as you know, you're looking for affirmation for your players you know young people want to be affirmed and they want to do what you ask them to do as long as um you know they know you see them and uh and then they you know it's like I think human nature is to uh, be even more bought in when you do have, you know, the results that you desire. And I think everybody, 
you know, as a, as a football program and organization realize these are the areas that we've fallen short. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, in, in improving uh, in all the things that that entails. And uh, so I'm hopeful that it's, you know, gratifying for the players, uh, for the coaches. We know that you're always a week away from humility and, uh, you know, and just keep your head down and just continue to, to do the things that you've been doing to, to make the improvement. And, uh, but to me, it's, it comes down to practice field, the film room, the strain, the competition, uh, the failure. And, uh, we've really helped get each other better in, in a lot of those areas that we're talking about. And coach, when you're evaluating Emory Jones and the skill set that he brings, what is it that you're telling your defense to kind of prepare for what he's going to bring on the field when you all get out there? Well, again, he's a, he's an an older guy that's played a lot of football, so he's seen a lot. And I think you know whether it's how you're rushing a passer or um, how you're playing the mash game. I think it's important that you you better be fundamentally sound in everything that you're doing because this is a guy that can beat you. You know both with his feet, you know, and his arm. So uh, he's got really good weapons uh, to uh, surround him, to, to help him be a good player. Like all good offenses and good players, you're usually a benefactor of having other good players around you. And uh, so very dynamic, you know. He can, you know, he can throw the ball a country mile and he can pull it down and, you know, uh, you know, take it the distance at any time. So... A really dangerous player, and uh, but at the same time you gotta stay, you know, within your scheme and your, uh, you know, your your philosophy. And uh, but we got a great challenge. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, uh, the things that he can do and headaches that he can cause, his ability to improvise is a tough thing to to um, simulate. Coach, how much at this point in the year do you just take what the defense has given you and how much is their focus of, okay, no, we want to make sure we can establish the run this week? I think a good team, you know, has the ability to do that, you know, establish what you want to establish. Um, again, I, you know, some teams are going to, you know, load the box and dare you to throw. And uh, so your results should, you want them to align with that. And uh, and then uh, sometimes they, you know, they're pretty balanced on what they're doing, and you've got to be able to execute. I've said this all along. You want to be able to, uh, when it's time that everybody in the stadium knows you got to run it, the opponents know you got to run it, uh, or throw it, that you have the ability to execute. You know, in those situations, that's what the that's what a championship team can do, uh, even when you know it. You know, you're still able to, whether that's physicality, it's precision, it's play design, whatever that is, uh, that, you know, that's, you want, that is imposing your will, if you will. And, uh, that's, to me, that's what it takes to, uh, you know, to, you know, be a team that's, uh, playing in, you know, uh, middle of January. And, uh, so, uh, you can't go broke taking a profit. And, and so you want to teach uh, and have our players understand what patience looks like as well. I think that's important that you're not forcing, you know, bad throws or you know when you're if you're if you're reading somebody in the run game uh, that you're again still stay disciplined to you know what those reads tell you to do. You know, I think that's important too. Do you feel like you're there? Where, no, no, we're not there. Coach, how do you prepare your, your players for, for this test that's coming up? It's a, a, a true road game against a, an opponent that's, that's talented, and they're going to be fired up. It's their first first game in the new conference. Yeah, well, again, they've lost two times in five years. One of the, the two times was last week. So <laughs> that's a team that's used to winning. Again, they have high standards, uh, you know, when they play at home or they play on the road. But... Uh, it's going to be a, again a great atmosphere. They got a strong court, culture, great belief system. Uh, you know those players, um, you know, expect success. And, uh, and again, they had a, a tough loss in overtime. 
you know, their play, you know, away from uh, winning the game. So I'm sure they've got great perspective. They haven't lost their mind through a little adversity. And, uh, you know, they'll be ready to compete. And uh, so we got to focus on us having a great week of, of practice. That's how we'll gain confidence, you know, getting getting on the airplane, you know, going to their place. But make no mistake, it's, it's going to be a, you know, a really strong challenge. Again, they've had plenty of really good teams come to their place the last five years and not have success. So uh, we got to find a way to, to have the kind of success we need uh, in order to give ourselves a chance to, to be successful. Coach, uh, you said this will be line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They have 10 sacks through their first three games. So what challenge does that defensive line give to your offensive line? Who's only given up one sack? Yeah, I mean, again, it's they got really good players. Um, they're big, they're strong, they're physical, and, again, they're relentless. Love the way they play. Uh, you know, just as an admirer of good football, uh, those guys uh, get it done. And uh, so, again, it's going to be a challenge mentally, physically, uh, you know, four hours uh, of challenge. And uh, they've had great success at putting pressure on a quarterback. Some of it relates to, to the sacks, and some of it's just pressure, you know, and disruption in the run game. And uh, so, you know, uh, they're going to make some of their plays. That's just part of the game. You know, you're not going to keep them from, uh, you know, uh, making some plays, and you just got to keep them at a minimum. And uh, this is a game of matchups, and uh, this is not a game of potential, and this is not a game of talking. We're going to have to be doing it. And uh, a great, great opportunity for our guys, uh, one that you know I know they're going to look forward to. up on my previous question you talked about wanting to see that culture of accountability translate to a culture of execution are you seeing that so far it's been better yeah it's been you know it's been better mm-hmm. James? you mentioned yesterday in your show uh, that you're going to get Deshaun back what's that going to do to your cheetah position he's such a dynamic looking athlete yeah I mean again Deshaun's a he's a really good player and he's put in a lot of hard work and so he's a major you know, contributor on special teams as well. And so, you know, we've uh, we got a couple of other guys that had to have season-ending uh, surgery. And, uh, uh, you know, so you're thankful that he's what one, one of those kind of guys. Uh, but Phil Pachotti, uh Jaden Rowe, both of them are having to have uh, season-ending uh, surgery. Uh, unfortunately, hate that. But the good thing for those guys, they've got a, you know, a... Uh, uh, you know, their whole career st- still sitting in front of them, and they're going to be great players uh, to get again Deshaun back at a position where we had some guys get banged up. That's um, you know, it's a good thing. But he's long, he's super athletic, and smart. He's very competitive, anxious to to get back out on the field. Mm-hmm. Thank you, All right, y'all have a good one.